Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is this the real life? Or is this just a fictional reality? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Fictional Reality. Uh, an experience design podcast where I talk to puzzle makers, creators, storytellers, adventurers, you name it, anyone who is designing experiences. Uh, This week I talk with a good friend of mine, Paul Adams. We've done a bunch of work together, uh, namely some immersive theatre for Brisbane Immersive Ensemble. We'll be together again this year on the Cluedo, uh, the interactive game production. We worked on the Midsummer Carnival and have had a few little crisscrossing projects here and there. I made a treasure hunt for him, and he helps me out and gives me good advice on uh, on how to be a better business grower and a uh, better person all around in general. So we have a great old chat. Um, we go on some wild tangents here, but today we talk about Paul's process, about how he designs and creates, uh, and mostly about how he engages the people that he wants to serve. So... Paul owns Small Crown Productions, which is a theater company, and um, he really has a goal to create a a lifelong customer, to have an audience member that is driven to want to repeat, repeatedly come to his shows and sort of be loyal to the company and bring their children along and have the children grow up with the shows. So he doesn't want to just get that one-time audience member, he wants to keep incentivizing them to return. So instead of talking about how he designs his theatrical experiences, we want to talk about how he designs his, um, his, I guess, customer or client or audience experience from the first time they hear of him, um, you know, for the next couple of years. So I, I find that, that journey very fascinating. How do you create a product or a service that continues to give um, value to the audience member? Well, that's what this one's about. Alrighty, welcome Paul. Thank you for joining us on Fictional Reality for another episode uh, where we talk to other experienced designers out there. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure. Happy to be here. Great Excellent. To have a well, chat about this stuff together. Yeah, and as we uh, just discovered in the preamble, uh, very easy to do. <laughs> it is. Uh, so, just to the people listening and watching out there, who are you and uh, and what do you do? Yeah, sure. My name's Paul Adams. I am a, um, a bit of, a, I call myself a creative slashy. It was a term that I picked up from somebody else. Um, I, I'm not one to define myself in singularities. Um, I tried and it just doesn't work for me and it does work for some people, but it's, it's, I've had to accept that that's actually who I am. So <laughs> I am an actor. I am a writer. I am a director. I am a producer. I do all of those things and, and I'm happy to do that. Um, it um, mostly in theatre and uh, events and uh, a little bit in film. So I work as an actor in film and um, I've produced some short films and that sort of thing of my own. But most of my work really kind of ends up being in theatre or theatre connected events. So 
Um, one of my regular gigs has been producing the Matilda Awards, which are Brisbane's Professional Theatre Awards. So I've been producer of that for about seven years, um, except for one year where I was away. <laughs> um, uh, I also am the event director for a kids holiday program that runs in January. I've been doing that program for 20 years and I've been the director of it for think about 16 years so kind of leading the team to do that you know all volunteers that whole team is volunteers from local churches um yeah and and as a theater maker and a, a filmmaker I, most of my work's been in theater so i write my own shows um i'll produce classic works most of my work is embedded in the classic text so i've produced a fair bit of shakespeare i've produced uh, one of my favorite plays to produce was niccolo machiavelli's uh, the Mandragola, which is uh, one of his only comedies that he wrote. And it's a great play, but classic kind of structure of the old man with the young wife and, mm. you know, the cuckolding young lover. Uh, <laughs> right. Great, great, great comedy. And you was see it in 17th century or? Uh, a bit earlier than that, I think 15th century. Mm. Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so that's mostly what I do. So um, I'll produce other people's theatre shows as well. Mm -hmm. But I'm really taking a, a massive, strong kind of turn into focusing on building my own creative business up. I've been kind of on the sidelines of doing that for a long time and, and realised a couple of years ago it was time for me to really focus on building my creative business. And so that's mm -hmm. where my focus is going for the most part. So you enjoy acting. You've been an actor. Yes. I know you as a Shakespearean actor. Um, yes. What is it that acting alone doesn't fulfill that things like um, event direction and producing uh, <laughs> enable you to do? What's that difference there? Take control. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm impatient. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things about being just, I mean, and don't get that wrong, just an actor but solely an actor, let me put it that way, mm. um, is that I think a lot of mindset that a lot of actors have is they're waiting for somebody to offer them a role. Right. I started producing Shakespeare because I wanted to perform. And right. so when I first started out, I loved Shakespeare. I, I tried to get into uni to study acting twice and I didn't get in. And so I went and worked and became a manager in retail and on the side, I fell into a medieval reenactment group that sort of recreates um, costume and, and historic kind of um, arts and sciences, as well as a, a style of fighting. Uh, we don't recreate known battles. We have a style of fighting that is developed within the 50 years of the society around the mm. world. Um, so it's become more of a sort of martial sport in its own right. right. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's great fun to go out once a week and hit someone with a stick and have them thank you for it at the end. It's, and you've had a pretty, you've had an actual like a hero's journey character arc of your own, haven't you? Like in <laughs> yeah. that they, they, they give you things, challenges, things to get better at and you go away from fights having learnt stuff. I remember you telling Definitely. me a story about that where you, you had this one goal that you were just trying to achieve um, year after yeah. year. Yeah. So, um, the society I'm in is a worldwide society called the Society for Creative Anachronism. It's known as the SCA, Society for Creative Anachronism. So it uh, started in America 50 plus years ago. It um, has spread throughout the world. It's now got 20 kingdoms uh, across the known world. 
So 18 of them in the United States, wow. um, Australia and New Zealand, and we claim Antarctica because it's all postcode based and Antarctica has a Tasmanian postcode. So that's ours, despite other people going and putting flags on it. It's ours. <laughs> um, so that's, we're just, oh! <laughs> and, um, a battle! And then, yes. It's a, <laughs> Sally, Sally forth the penguins! Um, but... Um, uh, and England and Europe make up the the twentieth, the other kingdom. So mm. um, they've been a kingdom for a long time. Um, so each kingdom has its own king and queen that is chosen by right of arms every six months um, in almost every kingdom but one. So that kingdom does it every four months. And yeah, so you have to go to a particular place to fight a particular tournament. And if you win that tournament, you become the next crown. You become mm. the king of king and queen for the next wow. six month period. And so, yeah, I spent a long time trying to get myself to be a good enough fighter that I could win that. And uh, that, that was something I really wanted to do. And along the way, we have a whole award structure within the game where you can become um, recognized for skills across fighting, arts, sciences, service. Wow. So it really serves everybody. And you can become what's known as a peer of the realm uh, in any of those categories. And so you uh, receive titles and uh, yeah. So yeah, so that was a big part of my journey. So I've been recognized as a peer of the realm in theater creation and also as a peer of the realm as a fighter. So I'm actually sir in the game, I'm knighted. And um, I managed to win the crown tournament twice. And so wow. that has given me the title of Duke. So, wow, my liege. So, yes. Yeah. Oh no, that's the king. So, oh, you know, sorry, excuse me, sir. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, um, yeah. that's awesome. So, that, oh, it's great fun. You know, in the namesake of the show, um, that is very much the embodiment of what I would call a fictional reality. You have very much so this narrative that's superimposed onto the world. There's a buy-in and then there's rules and rewards and an actual like emotional investment in this world that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We've been doing it for over 20 years. Like we, we got into it just after we got married and, um, you know, some friends of mine from high school who I still see and hang out with through the society, mm -hmm. um, they got into it first and, and then dragged me along. And then my wife and I went along and yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been an amazing place to learn. And that's where I actually started producing Shakespeare because that became the only outlet that I had for creating theater work. And so um, when I, when I started out and, and I didn't have any, anywhere else to produce, I, I, I realized that I was able to create work there because it, it fit 100% into what the society wanted. You know, it wanted mm -hmm. people to do artistic things. And so I started producing Shakespeare shows mm -hmm. and we would produce them in Brisbane and take them to our annual Sydney festival, which is the biggest event we have in Australia and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, we would produce it up here and take it down there to perform. And the first few years we didn't even perform it in Brisbane. And then we're like, oh, we should, we should probably do a show up here as well for anybody that doesn't go to the festival. Right. So then, then we started producing the shows and performing them in Brisbane and Sydney for the, yep. for the events. And I wrote heaps and heaps of scripts for specific feasts. And so that's, it's really where I cut my teeth on cool. um, storytelling and script writing and story development and converting known texts into playable scripts and that sort of thing. So, right. so much of my early work was done and developed through that society. And that's actually what allowed me to turn professional is having that, that background that I developed for years through that society. So yeah, it's been amazing. <laughs> That's a, that's a cool story. Well, um, that, that does bleed us into the next question of 
now when you, for small crown productions, um, when you're thinking of uh, creating a, a piece of theater or an experience, because it's fair to say that you do create theater, you are a, a theatrical production company, but your, your vision is a lot broader than that. It sort of encompasses yeah. not just the show, but the entire experience for the, um, for the person, for the people involved, your audience members. Um, yeah, run us through how you, maybe Peter Rabbit would be a good example, but run yeah. us through how you design, envision and develop um, a piece of content for Small Crown. Sure. Um, so there's a bit of a pivot that I had um, a couple of years ago, as I mentioned, when I decided that I was going to really focus on building up my own creative company. And that, that was encompassed with a, another kind of realization, which was how much I actually love business and commerce. And so um, I, I did a show a few years ago. So I guess to start with, I've come to realize within myself that what I actually really love is classic story. And so most of what I create will be based on some kind of uh, classic text. So, um, you know, the show that we're sort of in development of that, has been in development for a while now because of COVID it's been canceled again. And um, which was adventures of Peter rabbit. Um, I'm looking at doing an adaptation of treasure Island. The last big show that I produced was called um, the Bayer uh, tapestry. It was 1066, uh, the Bayer tapestry brought to life. And so I co-wrote that with a friend of mine and we basically took the story as it's um, depicted on the Bayer tapestry, which is a, um, so in 1066 was the Battle of Hastings where William came over from France and invaded England and won and became the first French ruler of England. And then his cousin, Bishop Odo, commissioned a hand embroidered account of the entire story. And it's currently in the Bayer, Tapa, uh, in the Bayer um, Castle, uh, I think it's a castle, museum, whatever. Mm. Um, and it's currently 70, 70, 70 meters long. Um, and it's got a bit missing at the end and they think it was about 80 meters long. And so wow. it's this, yeah, it's amazing. And it's this hand embroidered account of, you know, uh, the English King coming over and essentially kind of adopting him and, and saying, you know, I'll give you the throne. And then he goes back to England. And then later the story goes that he ended up giving the, the crown to his son or his son took the, the crown when he died. And so, you know, William said, well, actually it, it's mine because he told me I would have it. And so he came and invaded. So the whole kind of story, and then the battles depicted and there's a whole bunch of stuff and then it's, you know, he gets crowned at the end. So we took that story, which is obviously biased towards William's version and <laughs> created a theater show out of it. And, um, you know, that was the last big show that I did and it was great. Artistically, it was fantastic. Mm. Financially, it was not. <laughs> and, right. And I lost some money on that, which, you know, is what most of us as creators do. We, mm. we kind of invest a bunch of money and don't make it back. And we kind of go on with our lives like nothing happened. And after that show, my wife kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, I really think you need to stop losing our money. Just a thought, Paul. I, I've just been thinking while I was looking at the bank account today, um, it'd be great if uh, we had a bit yeah. more of the money that we once yeah. had. <laughs> can, you, can you please stop throwing it into the wind? Um, not that we're throwing it into the wind. But that idea that um, as a solo producer and a creator, 
I hadn't applied any kind of business structure to what I was doing. I was winging it. I was doing it on the fly. Mm. I hadn't put a strategy in place. I hadn't kind of had any sort of plan. It was, oh, I think I'll make a show and then I'd go and make a show and then I'd, you know, lose the money and then go and work to earn more money so that I could put on another show. And, mm. and that was the cycle that I would do. And I would not, I'd only be producing, you know, once every couple of years and on mm. a very small scale because I didn't have any kind of regular strategy or regular plan in place. And so yeah. kind of hit me after that, that I should probably start applying some of my business skills because my whole non-arts creative career had been in management roles, running businesses, you know, <laughs> I spent, I spent five years working with the Queensland Shakespeare Ensemble, which is another independent theatre company in Brisbane. I, I worked with them as an actor for a year and then left and came back a couple of years later as the president of the committee and then became the general manager. And then we set some structures in place that helped the company double its income over five years. And so it was at the end of that when I kind of went, I, I really should do that for myself. Right. And that's where I took that pivot. And so there's a whole bunch of, I love marketing. And so I dig into marketing podcasts and I dig into business podcasts to try and expand my knowledge because what I realized I was very, very good at was taking an established audience and growing something about that. So whether mm. that was the sales or whether that was the audience retention or whether that was um, the people metrics around the staff that I would manage, you know, I, I was very good at generating a culture around the staff and helping them feel better about being at work and mm -hmm. kind of shifting some of their mindsets and that sort of stuff. Not perfect at it. I, I can recount some amazingly terrible stories of me as a manager and, and I regret that, you know, but they're learning <laughs> curves, they're learning moments, yeah. but I was always able to grow that established audience in some way. And what I realized I was missing was the ability to grow from zero to an audience and yeah, so right. I really threw myself into online business, online marketing, podcasts, video shows, anything I could sink my teeth into that was going to help teach me how to grow from zero to something. Mm -hmm. Because once I had something, I was confident I would be able to do something with it. Yeah, right. And yeah. And so um, I took a bit of a turn in the way that I was thinking. So not just being a theater creator, mm -hmm. but actually looking at myself as an entertainment company. Yeah, and right. seeing the need to be both online and offline. And so knowing that just creating theatre and going down that same road that everybody goes down would probably yield the same results as everybody else. That mm -hmm. for the most part, it was going to be hand to mouth, low income, you know, struggling to try and keep the business running unless I managed to tap into one of those markets like a school show and that sort of stuff. But doing work in schools is great, but it was not specifically the work I wanted to do. Mm. And so that really led me to think about, well, what is my strategy and what am I trying to do? So I really looked at myself more so as an entertainment company because I do produce across theater and film. Mm -hmm. That led me to think about creating stuff that could be content used on a YouTube channel where we could entertain people there, give them insights into the background of how we create the other experiences that we do. Yeah. And I set myself five rules for creating by and, you know, had to be fun, had, yeah, if it wasn't fun for me, then why do it? Right. Um, had to be focused on making profit. So it wasn't just about throwing money at a project and hoping it was, what is the strategy around this that's going to actually make it profitable? Mm. And one of the other kind of real kind of keys was it had to have the potential for a global reach. Scale. Yeah. Yep. So you know, easy for film because you can put that on 
online and mm. reach an audience. How do you do that with a theater show? Mm. So that led me to really start thinking different ways. Um, one of the other ones was that, um, uh, uh, there's two others, which I can't remember <laughs> off the top of my head, but, the magical but two. basically, yeah, that sense that through limitation, we find innovation and that by forcing myself, because I know through my business experience, whenever businesses, and we see it right now happening with COVID, like we're recording this at the, for Australia, just as the restrictions are starting to lift, but it's still rampant across mm. other parts of the world. And you see the innovation that's come out of the world right now because of the limitation that's been put on, yeah. you know, zoom something like doubled their gross annual income in the last 12 months because of what's going on. Mm. It's massively blown out their expense line as well. However, you know, we're seeing so much innovation come through what people can do and the collaborations that they're doing and, and the way that they're coming together to find new ways to do things, not just in theatre, but in, in all areas of life. And mm. I've seen that a number of times in my business world. And so I thought, well, I need to limit, I don't need to, but I'm going to limit myself and set up these five rules that if it doesn't meet these rules, I don't do it. Yeah. Right. Because then it's going to force me to be more creative. You know, when you're making low budget short films, you find ways to cheat shots. Mm. And that's essentially what we're doing. We find ways around it. That doesn't mean we throw money at it. We're more creative about the outcome. Mm. And, you know, it's easy to do whatever when you've got the money to throw at it. But um, when you've got to build something from zero, you need to be really focused on not spending the money that you earn, you need to actually build profit. You need to build income and that sort mm. of thing. So, so it's, it's quite a broad spectrum of the way that I was thinking about it. The other thing that came out of that was realizing that one single pillar of income was not going to be enough. I had to find other ways to use my creativity to actually generate income mm. to help support the broader picture of what I was trying to do. Right. Ultimately, I just love to create. Mm. So I love to write, you know, one of the things that I do is write sonnets. I love writing Shakespearean style sonnets and I've over the years developed that into personalizing them for people. So I, I really looked at the way that I was creating and what I had been creating and what I could turn into a potential income stream. And so one of them was writing personalized sonnets for people. So I, I set up a, a, a web page on my website dedicated to that. Mm. Um, looking at other ways to create things. And so when I came back to creating a theatre show, I didn't want to just create a theatre show. I wanted to add to the experience because, you know, again, I was starting out. And so I felt like I really wanted to wow the customers, wow the audience when they came and experienced the show. So there was this sense of, well, what else can I do that's going to add value to the experience? Mm. And so that led me to looking outside of the theatre walls to, well, what is that experience from when the customer first finds us, signs up? What happens when they, they come to the theatre show? You know, you see all the shows that happen, say, at QPAC at the main theatre centre here. People get on a train or a bus or a car and they drive and they get out of their transport and they walk to the venue, they collect their ticket, they wait in the foyer, they go in, they sit down, they enjoy the show, hopefully, and then they basically go out, they might grab a snack and then go home. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. That is, that's the standard experience. Yeah. So how can I take people beyond that standard experience? What else can mm. we do to enhance that experience? And so a couple of the things that I came up with were, you know, well, what could happen 
outside the theatre before and after the theatre show. And so that led me to think about, well, what other ways could we create that? And so that led me actually to you to talk about treasure hunts. And so because, um, well, and there's another layer of thinking that was, I don't want to just create for anyone because if I'm creating for everyone, I'm not really creating for anyone <laughs> to hone in and focus on a single target market to mm -hmm. start with so that I could focus the theatre work that we create and build a repeatable audience mm. knowing that, you know, this show and the next one and the next one for the next few years will be targeted to the same group of people so that we can try and generate that repeat audience. And so I chose kids in primary school age group as the target market for mm -hmm. focusing the shows on, which then gave me that, that starting point to go, okay, well, what else can we create that would appeal to them that the parents would find valuable in the experience. And so, you know, coming with things like the treasure hunt that's themed to the show before and after the show, they can do that. Mm -hmm. um, coming up with an experience outside that essentially takes the idea of the show. And so to use Peter Rabbit as the example, we uh, were looking at creating a whole kind of county fair garden experience outside the theatre so that, um, there were games that kids could play. There were other experiences that people could participate in um, before and after the show. And so mm. as part of that um, experience and then working out the pricing of that was interesting. So we're still, you know, <laughs> still got to work all that out because mm. um, I want to be able to present shows at a price that families are able to come to. I mean, mm. you know, I don't want to, I don't want to undervalue it because there's no point doing that because you just don't make the profit back. But, you know, looking at how we can price the show. So if you come and see just the show itself, mm. you're still getting that at a, at a good price compared to what you would be. If you, if you replicated the experience of getting in your car, driving to the theater, seeing the show, going out and going home, mm. the price for that compared to what someone pays to do that at a show at QPAC, for instance, I want to be still good value. But then if you pay a little bit of a higher fee and get the, upgraded experience i guess mm. um you would be able to you know get involved in all this other stuff that's happening around and and finding a price that makes that still valuable in the eyes of the parents that are paying that kind of thing so yeah so broadening the experience and then finding ways within the shows that we can create upsells and add-on sales so that um we're increasing our ability to earn income from one show so that led mm. me to think about um, you know, additional kind of downloadable packs that we can add on to the sale of the tickets so that when kids go home, they can have this downloadable digital pack of, you know, colouring pages and activities all themed to the show mm. that extend the life of that show for them over the next few days. Um, and then again, thinking on broader terms, you know, it's, it's stupidly layered, man, in my head. It's just insane. But look, it's, it's very cool. I'm just going to interject because... Jump in. Sorry. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's fascinating that you, you've sort of said, okay, my constraint is that I want to be a viable business. And yes. in, in pivoting to going down toward the more business side, you, yes, you have, have that constraint. But in a sense, I see it as you've actually taken off another constraint which is the constraint of just the theater makers. And mm. at least from my experience in Brisbane, all it is is just this 
single-eyed vision toward the night of the show. And yes. all anyone focuses on is that. And it's like, we are going to love and care for our audience for 40 minutes to an hour and a half, no more, no less. And so for you to go, okay, how do we turn this into a viable business? You've actually expanded that interaction so that they're not just getting a show, they're getting a day out with the family. The show doesn't just finish in the theater. It doesn't start in the theater. The theater is the purpose, but this courtyard game, the treasure hunt, the play on pack, the, the effort you go to to communicate with your audience then, because you know once you have their email, you have an ability to communicate with them. And mm. something I really have enjoyed seeing in you is that you really treasure that and want to, get, want to continue to give them reasons to come back and give you yeah. their attention and, you know, and their money as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing too, is that um, a lot of us as creators think, as you say, in that moment for that show, and we fail to understand the concept of lifetime value. Mm. You know, the idea that if, if I get a mother or a parent, you know, parents, whatever, a family that sees that we're putting on a show that appeals to their kids. Um, I mean, from a business point of view, that was strategic because it means that generally I'm going to sell two tickets for every sale minimum because a parent is generally not going to send a seven or eight year old by themselves. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. strategically I chose that audience because it meant if I was selling to a parent, they're generally going to bring a kid with them. Yep. So they're going to, they're going to buy two tickets. So it means it's easier for me to sell out a house. Mm. So strategically, <laughs> that was the choice. Yeah. Um, but also that sense that if I get the, like if I set the, the focus for the moment on kids in the primary school age group and I get a parent bring a kid to a show in grade, who's in grade one and they love the experience, well, they will hopefully, the goal is to give them such a value-packed experience time after time after time that that kid will want to come back and that parent will want to bring that kid back mm. throughout the next five or six years. Yeah. So, you know, Yes, it might cost me a little bit to get somebody involved originally, but then if they continue to buy tickets every year for the next five or six years, I mean, that's where the real income is generated in that, mm. in that development of a lifetime value with the customer base. And so, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to try and balance how much I invest early so that I can get people involved and get people on the books mm -hmm. um, and, and still, you know, not, lose money i mean the reality is that i have invested some money that we haven't made back yet but mm. you know when we came to produce peter rabbit the first time which was in late 2019 uh we hadn't generated anywhere near enough audience and hadn't sold anywhere near enough tickets to make it a viable enterprise and so you know a period of time out from the show we had the hard and heavy production meeting and made the decision to postpone the show Mm. because if we went ahead with it, we were going to spend all of the money that I had there to invest in that show and not get any of it back to do another show with. Yeah. And that was not why we set out to do. Mm. And so to respect the team that I had pulled together as well, we had to cancel the show and, you know, we upset a couple of customers, but on the whole, most of them a hundred percent understood mm. where we were and why, because I was very clear with them about the purpose as I want to be able to do another show for you after mm -hmm. we do this show. And if we do it this way, we're not going to be able to. And so, you know, that, that level of honesty and, and the ability to be humble enough, I guess, to, to eat that cake and go, 
this is how it is. Yeah. You know, we might not get some of those people back, but that's the risk. And, you know, and, we're you know planning there's to an do element, it. There's some, there's some scarcity there. I mean, if nothing else, there's a bit of law of scarcity at play. Uh, so you might just build a little bit of an anticipation, but yeah. you're in the unenviable position of, of giving people something that's sort of, it's not really being done too much, at least in, in Brisbane or if at all, like, and I know you have a bit of a goal of going, of finding sort of a hub network. Like when I listened to your podcast about offering it as a corporate package for families yeah. as add-ons to corporate things. This is, this is common practice in the corporate world, but it's not common practice in the art world. And you are blending these two things. And I think, which is like a pretty visionary way, but it's still a new idea. And uh, yeah, that's, that's hard. As someone who has had a new idea, it feels like they have, <laughs> I see how people can one, they can sort of get it and go, Oh yeah, but not yeah. interested. It takes time. Yeah. I am really, you know, obviously we, we postponed the show to produce it in 2020 and then COVID hit. So we've had to cancel it again. And you know, I was like, come on. But the reality is I've looked at that as an opportunity to find other ways to keep building the email list. And so, you know, it's just giving me the opportunity to get more people into the email list to be able to communicate with them. That means that when we do actually get to put this damn show on, I will have a better opportunity of selling tickets and making totally. money back so that we can produce another show after that because mm -hmm. we've grown the list. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. So we've had to really, I've, well, I say we, it's, it's, I've had to really think about ways. And, you know, the beauty of actually coming at it with that strategy meant that when I actually signed up my entire team for the show, I told them about this massive vision that I had and where I wanted to take it. Mm. which meant that if they wanted to be involved in it, they, they had to be okay with me using the filmed footage and that kind of stuff that we were going to really document as much as we could. We're going to record the shows mm -hmm. and make them available in some way, hopefully through a payment gate mm. um, in down the track. But we recorded when we couldn't do the show last year, we wanted to still offer something to our audience that had signed up. And so we actually ran a single event as a free event. And we did a staged reading of the show. So people could come for free, experience the script and the actors, semi kind of performing it in mm -hmm. a semi sort of staged way. We didn't have any set or costumes. We just used chairs to outline areas of the stage and mm. a few very basic props. And we had, I don't know, 30 families turn up to watch that. Yeah, and it was a good day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we did the treasure hunt that day and, and mm. introduced that experience as part of that. And it went really, really well. And, you know, I met one of those families I met a few weeks later. And the kids said to me, we will be at every single show that you create because we just <laughs> had so much fun. And that was, that was not even a full show. That was just right. the actors reading from script and doing yeah. the treasure hunt outside. So, you know, that was a really great validation for us to know mm -hmm. that things are on the right track. And so now what we've been able to do is take the recording of that staged reading, put that on website behind an email opt-in so that hopefully we can promote that, get more people involved in looking mm. at that, seeing that, experiencing the sort of work that we're looking to do, even in a non-real staged kind of version. 
and hopefully you know use that to grow the audience base before we get to the point of fully producing so Absolutely. just looking at ways to continue providing value and, and providing stuff that's of interest to people and hopefully doing that look i think i think you're on the right path with it and you've got the right you know you've got the hard work the um what do they call them the work dog mentality of just just do it your heart's in the right place so yeah. it will be interesting and it is interesting to see this sort of as it unfolds and i'm like watching with bated breath you've also reminded me of something that came through into my field um recently so um that i want to tell you about so i when once this once the restrictions ease and we start getting back into normal life um a big network that i want to sort of get a part of is the the businesses that are involved in wedding preparation so i sort of want to talk to personal trainers and photographers and get a few on board that i'm friends with so that we can pull our customers and share them around um in a way that doesn't feel like anyone's trying to sell anything it's just like i'm going to be dealing with people who want to do bucks parties so i might have an opportunity to hand over some information about a personal trainer who might be able to who you know, they might be looking for a boot course and all this sort of thing. Um, and so recently what came into my field of vision was this idea of kindy at a wedding. And it's, it's a person who goes to a wedding and they set up a little area, a little craft station, and it's for the kids to go so that the adults can go and have fun and don't have to worry about the kids at a wedding. And I was I just, know. just went bing, like that, that's clever. And I want to position myself to be a, you know, maybe a creative in one of these events where I create treasure hunts for a wedding or something like that. Yeah. And um, as I've been talking to you, you spring to mind as I've just had this thought, this image popped into my head of like, wouldn't it be fun if there's a wedding going on or the reception, I should say, um, yeah. the party at the reception. And then the, in the kid's tent is a little puppet show and a little treasure hunt. Brilliant. It's yeah. like, it's, I'll just leave that with you, but um, that could be <laughs> well, something I, that could be very fun. I think that's a great idea. And I think that's, you know, the, the idea of, well, there's two ideas there that you've mentioned, both of which have great value. That first idea of um, referral networks, um, you know, and I think if you can find people that are interested in doing that, and this is the businessman in me coming out to just sort of go, if you start building that referral network, make sure that everybody is willing to pay some kind of referral fee yeah. so that, you know, it's, yes, it's about helping each other out, but it's also about generating income for each other. Mm. So, you know, if you bring somebody a personal trainer and that personal trainer gets hired, well, they pay you for that lead something you guys would have to work that out, but mm. keep that in your mind as well, because you see businesses do that all the time and you see, you know, it's a similar sort of affiliate marketing type thing, but mm -hmm. that referral fee and there's, there's nothing sleazy about it in that, you know, if you genuinely believe that that person provides a value um, service and you're happy to promote them, then you're essentially helping them grow their business. Then, you know, people help each other out. So they you know, pay a referral fee. Um, but yeah, that idea of, of finding other ways to, incorporate performance into other places i had the thought of actually creating a theater show that did babysitting so that parents could watch the show while mm. the kids have been babysat out the back and yeah i mean there's obviously a lot of laws and rules around doing that which i need to investigate but yeah <laughs> look at doing solving it at a, a wedding that's a great idea it is yeah yeah 
Yeah. Doing it at a wedding is a brilliant idea. And, you know, that's genius because you're going where people are spending the money. Well, and that's right. And the way I see it is in that journey, like in the journey of the, of getting married for people and let's be real people, people who are willing to spend lots of money on their wedding. Cause it's, you know, of all of the reasons people love doing that, but you know, if you successfully plan a fun bucks party, then you're in a position to be like, Hey, we also offer this service for the, for the reception, by the way. Yeah. Here is, here's how you do it. And so you, you carry on that customerage um, throughout that, their sort of journey. Um, yeah. There. So. I, I'm surprised at florists who don't pull the groom aside and go, Hey, want an annual subscription so we send your wife flowers on mother's day <laughs> birthday you know anniversary just give us the dates and we'll just make it happen and pay us this much per year you know yes it's the the ladies that are organizing the flowers at a wedding but you know there's a guy that's going to be having to buy her flowers sometime in the future yeah right can, while they're in that while you've already provided a great service take an opportunity you might be able to pick up some more in your work so and there are that's, all that's these... something that's dropped into my head at one point but i don't do flowers so <laughs> <laughs> well there's there's niches out there and there are problems that people have but because there isn't a solution to them some people aren't necessarily aware that they're they're even a, a problem in the first place um, true. anyway apropos of nothing i might when this kicks up again um i'll, I'll come back to you with uh if you're interested in, in creating a little like a, a puppet show or something like that for a wedding hit me up on show sort of thing um so you care about the customer experience from the second they first see you and are interested in joining the mail list um ongoing as their children grow yeah. up um and going up how this is this is a sort of a broader experience design which i haven't talked yet about on the podcast which is sort of like yep. the lifetime of the customer um what it's a bit hard to give tips and tricks on if anyone wants to do it themselves, because I think it, you really have, I mean, it's a commitment. You can't just commit. Mm. Um, you really have to be in, in for a penny in for a pound with this sort of thing. But in terms of generating a customer experience from start to finish or an audience experience from start to finish, what do you think would be some useful sort of tips or guidelines that you would give someone if they were thinking, look, I want to give my players, customers, audience a first-class experience, um, yeah, what would you say to them? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is to look at what is the accepted standard. Um, you know, what, what is currently considered a, you know, a 10 out of 10 in somebody's mind? You know, what's, what's a great experience if somebody, you know, for, let's talk theatre, if someone's going to go to the theatre, what are they expecting that they're going to get for their money and that, that time? what's going to happen in there. And then it really is looking at, well, what, what takes that to, you know, if, if the standard accepted practice, you would consider a seven, what would take that to a 10? What would take that to a 12? Mm. How could you get that to a 20 <laughs> so that people are blown away? And, mm. you know, it's, it's a really interesting thing because I don't think we think that way enough because you know, we are so focused on creating the work, yeah. but we forget that it's people that are coming to experience it. And that, that whole journey is a big part of that. The guys that, you know, do like tech startups and this sort of thing and, and like Airbnb, I'm pretty sure they were one of those people that really thought that way. 
in the experience of, you know, well, what's, what's going to be an amazing experience for somebody that stays at an Airbnb um, place, like someone that's you know, booked an Airbnb. And then how do we help our owners who are leasing out those Airbnbs to take that to a higher level? And I think Uber did the same sort of thing to start with where they were like, well, what can you as a driver provide that's going to exceed the expectation of the customer? And a lot of Uber drivers were having things like bottles of water and packets of chips and that sort of stuff in their yeah. cars to, to add to that experience. And so for us as creative people and theater makers or experience makers, whatever that is, what is the standard experience? What do people generally accept as the experience? And then how can you think beyond that? And what is it about that experience at all of those touch points that you mm. can add? And it's, it's knowing all of those touch points of, you know, somebody's going to see the promotion for the event or the experience. They're going to go to a page, whether it's a Facebook page or a web page or whatever, to read and learn about what's going to happen at this event. Mm. Then they're potentially going to sign up and register for that event. And then they're going to have a period of time before they come to that event. Then they're going to come and then they're going to experience that event and then they're mm. going to leave and then they're going to be reveling in the joy, hopefully of that experience afterwards. Mm. So all of those touch points are opportunities for you to exceed the expected kind of normality of what people would expect. Yeah. And so breaking, you might not be able to do all of them at once, but if you, I mean, to start with, you've got to have a great experience, a great event. So that's yeah. the first place to start. You have to have a good product first and foremost, because, you, you know, it, there's no point trying to, you know, oversell something that's just terrible. It's just not going <laughs> to yeah. work. You just, you're just screaming bad, even louder. That's all. Yeah, so right. first and foremost, that event, that experience has to be something that the customers are enjoying. Mm -hmm. And then look at, well, what's the next touch point that we can create that's going to exceed that. So that might be in the lead up. Maybe the first thing that you can grow is, once they've registered, what can we provide along the way until the moment they're there? And not just the standard of, hey, you're coming to our event in two days, here's where to park. Mm. Is there more kind of, you know, is there video stuff that you can set up for them? Is there some fun that you can create online? Or, mm -hmm. you know, is there some anticipation that you can build that, hey, here's, here's your personalized secret code. When you get to the venue, you'll need to find the thing that has your code on it and there'll be a special bonus there for you, whatever. I don't know, but mm. pick one touch point and try and exceed the expectations on that one. And then once you've got a habit for that, build out the next one. It takes time. It takes time to develop, but piece I think by it's piece. worth it. And it's really making me think of, of something that in a bit of different way I've been talking about with other people, which is how do you, uh, how do you get someone to play a game very quickly um, where you're not just explaining the rules all at once. And I'm seeing a little bit of an analogy with what you offer because what you offer is, is vast, you know, um, it's a show, but it's, there's this other experience attached to it. There's the play on pack. And with this, I, the solution that we've come up with in other conversations has been that you give people just little bits of information at a time. And mm. it's making me think of what you're just saying there that you've got these touch points and at each touch point, you can actually add something. It's like, yes. hey, you heard about our show? Here's the follow-up email. Excellent. Well, it's more than just a show. And then on the next touch point, yeah, it's more than just more than just a show. There's actually an interactive <laughs> element that's here just for you. 
And they go, oh, cool, yeah. engage in that. And then all of a sudden, it's more than just that even. There's this after the show element. So every time they interact with you and your brand and your product, they're actually getting something else. And it's not, yeah. it's not all front loaded so that it's just like, oh, this is too much and no, thank you. Yeah, that's the, the risk you run is overwhelming people early on with, you know, if you, if you are kind of layering in different versions of value in some way, that was, that was a difficulty for me putting the web pages together for the show when I started looking at, well, you're going to come along, there's going to be a free treasure hunt that you can do before the show, there's this outdoor experience and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And to, to really kind of funnel that down into some really simple bite-sized elements that people can consume enough to get them interested on the web page, and then yeah, part of that experience leading up is, you know, sharing some video content about the setup and the tests that we did on the games, and you know, mm. the the experience around the treasure hunt, and yeah, building it out slowly just so that it's absorbable. You know, if you pour too much water onto a sponge, it doesn't get it all. So it's a it's, great uh, analogy, and I think as yeah. designers, that's something that we all fall into the trap too too much. Firstly, because we know our product it all makes sense in our head. So we can just shotgun it at people. Um, and, and people do, we do that with our games and our marketing. And so it is hard to just go, here's just one little bit. <laughs> and then people are like, uh, and you'll, and you just want to be like, and this and this and this, but you, it's really hard to hold back and just be it like, is. when you've just enjoyed that one tiny little bit, come back. I'll give you something else. I think, I think that kind of comes down to the importance of testing as well. You know, I mean, you've, you've talked about that before when we've had conversations around the games that you create, that you provide a whole range of instructions and you realize nobody reads any of them. So how do you reshape that, mm -hmm. you know, and that importance of testing what it is that you're going to do with a few people or the smallest number of people, you know, that whole, a lot of people I've heard call it the N of one, you take one person and put them through, the experience and then you get that feedback and then you do another one and then you can expand it out bit by bit. Mm. Yeah. That's so important to, to understand how much people will either a understand or be consumed so that mm. you can give it to them in, in sizes and, and in chunks that they will take. And the coolest thing about doing that, about playtesting small parts and portions of everything that you do, especially if you have that larger goal is that, every single play test and every single interaction like that is both information for you, but it's also marketing for whatever you're doing. Like, yeah. And I love doing that. I love putting sort of hijacking people's um, grammar Nazis out there. I love putting <laughs> stuff out there and saying, Hey, there might be some spelling mistakes or there might be some errors in this. Can someone just check this for me? And <laughs> you know, if I didn't say that, if I just said, I've made something, would you like to play it? silence across the board but if yeah. i think there's something wrong with this can you find it people they gravitate to it or what's your opinion which one's better i don't know yeah well, i think you're tapping in yeah you're tapping into a couple of different psychologies psychologies there is you know a lot of people love to help and want to be of service and so they're happy to engage on that level mm. and you're also opening story loops and people want to go oh what is this what is this about and so yeah that's it's great and you know, I've got a few people that I've actually tapped on the shoulder and, and I've made them the testers of things for me mm. so that, you know, I have a, a, a small group of people that I send stuff to regularly who are happy to look at everything and, and give, run it through its paces and, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, you know, it's just putting stuff, stuff out. 
Oh, next, so, so useful. The next thing I'll test is, hey, is, is your share button working on Facebook? Just, just share this photo just to see. I, I can get feedback on mine. I just want to see if the share button's working. <laughs> share That's genius. <laughs> and write that one down. <laughs> uh, well, Paul, thank you for coming on. The, the conversation could go on and on, but we'll have to cap it there. Um, or no people worries. get scared by the runtime. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you would like to add or plug? I've, I've taken a heap of notes. We'll put everything in the links below and in the show notes if you're just listening. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add or, or to guide people towards checkout? Uh, well, I guess the latest project that we've got with COVID happening, we spun to um, can't do theater shows. And so I've made, made a couple of board games and uh, <laughs> currently uh, in development, which I don't know when this episode will air, but uh, smallcrownproductions.com.au forward slash paper pandemic jump on and uh buy our toilet paper hoarding board game <laughs> for which the artwork is super cute by the way yeah it's great the <laughs> graphic designer he's only done that sort of first initial image i can't wait to see what he's going to do with the rest of it so it's got like a um, post post-apocalyptic or maybe post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic yeah. uh type of his idea was well, what if we made everybody look really sick on the character base so it's going to be interesting because <laughs> it's a print and play board game so you'll print it all off on your home printer and play it at home so yeah it'd be interesting to see kind of how much of that kind of look and feel actually makes it to the page i don't know it'll be a bit hard to, to work out until we yeah. get there but, look it's a worthwhile yeah. market i have played as a player of some myself throughout covid um just like escape rooms that you print and play i've been converted i love them i think they're great if you're looking for something to do at home um don't want to go out then then they're they're quite fun so yeah I'm, i made a couple for like i did an easter activity pack that we used as a giveaway and a christmas mm -hmm. one that we used um and yeah just sort of building some printable board games in those and yeah people are enjoying them so but this one uh yeah should be a bit of fun <laughs> cool well thank you so much for coming on paul um my pleasure as always uh, and every, anyone listening, go check out Small Crown Productions and think about the ways in which you want to increase the, uh, your user experience because there's always a way in which you can add something to that experience at some of the touch points. Absolutely. Lovely. Catch you next time, Paul. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. And that wraps us up another episode of Fictional Reality. Thank you very much, everyone for joining and listening to this episode. If you made it all the way to the end, congratulations, you win a prize. Uh, just send me your address and uh, all of your credit card details and uh, I'll be sure to get that out to you. All right, all jokes aside, uh, that, uh, that brings us to the end of the episode. I don't really have much to say here. I just like to put an outro in. Um, any housekeeping, this will be coming out um, obviously after I record this. But uh, if you're interested, come check me out at The Puzzle Maker. Um, I have probably a different handle for every single social media platform. So on Instagram, it's at The Puzzled Maker. Uh, the website is puzzledreality.com. And if you Google Puzzle Maker, you'll come up with a word search creator. So um, I'm not the easiest person to find, unfortunately. But I am. I will be launching a treasure hunt, um, hopefully in August, if everything goes according to plan. It'll be worth $1,000, so please do join me. There will be a treasure map. There will be treasure to be found. It will be a great hunt. So uh, come check me out. I've also just created the Date Night Treasure Hunt. It's an interactive PDF. Um, it's a great addition to a date night. So I would love it if you would try it out and join it. Throughout July, it's free. 
which means I think you've only got a few days left, maybe one or two days before it will uh, cost you $25 to play. That uh, That's it for today. Again, thanks for joining. Uh, tune back in in two weeks' time for our next guest. Uh, that next guest is going to be uh, Jack from uh, Half Monster Games. He is a the creator, founder, and lead designer in Half Monster Games, so we will be talking about board games and how to, how to design for board games. Uh, he's also a good friend of mine. Uh, most of the people I interview are my friends, which is great. So I look forward to having you along, uh, along next time. Take care.